Let's pray. Lord God, this morning we lift up to you our community. The community in which you've placed us as a church body to worship you here in this place. This, this community is, that is so full of people that are so different from each one of us. And if we were to take an honest look at each other, we are so different from one another. But we share in this that you have saved us by your grace and mercy through your son Jesus Christ. You have drawn us together as a body. You have given us a bond that is not perishable, a bond that will not fade with time, even eternity. In fact, it will get stronger, I am sure, as we are bonded together by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we have received eternal life. Help us, Lord, to see your community through the eyes of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we asked the question, who is Jesus, right? And this week, I ask you, who are you? Who are you? What is your pedigree? Or perhaps the lack thereof. What, what is... Let's look at this. What is your trail of sin? We all have one, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. You don't have to share it here. Don't share it with your neighbor right now. But have you taken things that were not yours to take? Have you been lustful or hateful? Have you been an abuser? Have you lived out your addiction, be it uh, alcohol, sex, drugs, maybe work has been your addiction? Have you been ignorant or even intentionally spiteful towards God? What is the worst? What is the absolute worst of who you are as much as we cover it up with suits and ties and coming to church on Sunday? What is the worst of what you've done? Take a moment to be humbled by that. Then I have a song for you. I won't sing it. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones, that's you and me. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Jesus did not come to save the righteous. The healthy aren't the ones who need a doctor. But knowing that none of us are righteous, none of us are truly healthy in our own right, he came to save those who are sick in our own sin. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 1, read through verse 27. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. John 4, starting at verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. 
So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Reading of God's word, go ahead and be seated. Verse 27 just then, the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The word marvel in this text here, it means to, to wonder at something. They were, they were flabbergasted. They, they were wondering at it. It means to wonder at something with an element of criticism. So they, they, were, they were shocked. What in the world is he doing talking to her? They were confused. You've, you've got to be kidding me. This, this shouldn't happen, but there it is right before my eyes. I can't, I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm seeing here. So what is it that made this so hard to believe? What? Why would the disciples be so beside themselves that they had nothing to say? Even Peter, 
And you know Peter, he's always ready to say something, right? He's the boldest of all of them. What is it that makes this passage so very significant? Well, first, the woman was a Samaritan, and, and the Samaritans were a mixed breed of people. They were culturally and religiously unacceptable to the Jews. Historically, there were Jews left behind in Israel when the, at the Assyrian diaspora. That's when Assyria took Israel, they took over Israel, in about 720 B.C., And at that time, they relocated all of the skilled craftsmen, all of the educated Jews, anyone who could add to their Assyrian society, they took them out of Israel and took them home, right? And anyone left behind, those are the Samaritans. The ones who were left in the land, they willingly intermarried with the Gentiles who moved into Israel, leaving behind an intermarried culturally mixed group they did exactly what god told them not to do he forbid them to intermarry if you look at deuteronomy 7 verses 1 through 4 god said do not intermarry with cultures around you and as a result they were no longer truly jewish on top of that samaritans only received the pentateuch They only used those books. They did not accept the writings like Kings or Chronicles or the Psalms or Job. They did not use the prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Daniel. Their canon, their accepted sacred writings, consisted solely of the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, leaving out huge portions of what God had to say to his people. They they cut themselves off at the knees when it came to knowing God. The totality of God's person, his character, his plans, and his will. Using only the Pentateuch, they believed that worship should take place on Mount Gerizim. After all, this was land that Jacob had given to Joseph. This land had history. They made up their own religion around what they thought, their own way to God. Although they were now mixed culturally, They still wanted to consider themselves to be descendants of Joseph through Ephraim. They were, to some extent, a people in denial. They were in denial of who they really were in their history and ignorant of God's word. And for the most part, Jews considered all of them to be unclean most of the time. Worse than that, there's a rabbinic law in the Mishnah that says that Samaritan women in particular, from the moment they are born, they are perpetually unclean and there's nothing they can do about it. This is why a Jew would not share a drink of water with a Samaritan. Especially from the Samaritan's own cup. Especially with a Samaritan woman. Now, This woman in particular came out to the well alone at midday. It was the sixth hour, right? See that in verse 6. Noon o'clock. She came out alone. For, For safety and company, usually women would go out to the well in groups. They'd draw out that water together. And they would do it either early in the morning or late in the day when it was a little bit cooler because in such an arid climate, 
It was just too hot to do it when the sun was at its, its highest point. The woman had to come out alone at the hottest time of the day when no one else would be there. This Samaritan woman was an outcast, not, of, not only of the Jewish nation, but of her own people. She was an outcast of her own people because, to put it nicely, she was a tramp. She had five husbands who either died or divorced her. And now she was living with a guy she wasn't even married to. Religiously, she was out to lunch, not comprehending God's relationship with his Jewish people, his chosen people, or agreeing with his own choice, God's own choice of Jerusalem as the location for the temple where he should be worshipped. And then when Jesus begins to talk with her about spiritual matters, her response is very, very earthbound. Did you see that? Let's look at verses 10 to 15. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus speaks to her about water on a spiritual level and she responds with, You don't have anything to draw water with. How are you going to get this water? He tells her the benefits of this spiritual water of eternal life. And she says, give it to me so I don't have to come here anymore and draw water from this well. I'm getting kind of tired of having to do that. She, she is thinking only of physical water, isn't she? Socially, this woman is a challenge to talk to. Did you see that in her answers, in her words? She was just a nasty person. Her statements and her questions to Jesus are all couched in this doubtful, accusatory language. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink of water from me, a woman of Samaria? That's a nice way to say hi. Verse 11 and 12, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Who are you? Verse 17. The woman answered him when he said, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. She was lying to him. She was being deceptive. Verses 19 and 20. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She instantly went from having to face her sin to, let's change the subject. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know. I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I know. You don't need to tell me, Mr. Prophet. 
I know better. Verse 29, when she goes down to her people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? In in the original language there, while, while her thinking is beginning to change towards Jesus, and so that's why she goes down to the town to tell them, hey, come, come see this guy, her language there with her question is still set in a negative. She's saying to them, this can't be the Christ. Can it? Can you imagine trying to have a conversation with somebody like this? A conversation with, with somebody so contradictory Can you find yourself actually spending some real time with somebody like this? You all know somebody like this, don't you? She's the kind of person we might allow to be in the same room because God told me to be nice, right? Or it's that relative that you just can't get away with because they come every Christmas. But as soon as they begin to walk towards you, you look at your watch, right? Oh, look at the time. I I, I think it's time to go to the next party. She was a sinner before God's law. She was unclean according to Jewish rabbinic traditions. She was embedded in earthly religion that rejected much of what God had to say. She slept around. She was socially, morally, religiously filthy. She was nothing like Nicodemus, was she? Nicodemus in chapter 3, he was a man who was wealthy educated he was a religious leader he was a teacher he was a jewish pharisee but it gets worse for her to top all of this off conservative jews at the time would have seen the well as a place to meet women take that into account wells were where wives were found for both jacob and isaac a jewish men did not talk to women in public B, certainly not at a well. Uh, A certain rabbi had even written that to talk to your own wife too much was a waste of time. Men, don't try this at home. So, putting all of this into perspective from, from the disciples, right? We find Jesus at the local pickup joint talking to an unclean tramp uneducated, poor, the outcast of society, culturally unacceptable to the Jews, her trail of sin like a cloud of dust around her. You could just smell it. You could see it. And his disciples marveled that he was talking to this woman. They marvel. They they look at their watches. Isn't it time to go? And Jesus offers her eternal life. God found her right where she was and who she was. For God so loved the world. Do you remember what the world is by definition? Fallen in sin, evil, and filthy. God found her right where she was and who she was, and he reached into her world on purpose. With her trail of sin, Jesus loved her with that unconditional agape love of God. Verses 3 and 4. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again for for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. 
He had to pass through Samaria. He did not physically have to pass through Samaria. There actually is a way around Samaria. And devout Jews, the most devout Jews, would take that alternate route, even though it took a considerably longer amount of time to get where they wanted to be. But they did it so that they wouldn't have to interact with Samaritans. He could have gone around. But God wanted this interaction. He had to go there because she was there. God wanted to find her. He wanted to find her and take her through the gospel. He wanted to tell her, you need living water. Not physical water that will only leave you thirsty, but spiritual water. You need water that only God can provide to soothe your spiritual emptiness and thirst. You need regeneration. You need the rebirth that comes from God alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, speaking of living water, God says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. As Jesus talks with her, he shows her just how broken her cistern is. He wants her to see that her deception, her pride, and her confrontational attitude won't hold water before God. And he makes her to confront how broken her life is. The life that she's tried so hard to work out for herself apart from God. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you are saying is true. He placed her sin right there in the light for it to be seen with clarity by her. Because in order to come before God in Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to acknowledge and humbly confess our sinful condition before him. We must repent. We must turn away from our sin and turn toward God. He wants her to turn to him, to turn back to the God whom all mankind has denied and turned away from. To come to him for eternal life. We cannot come before God in a lie. And we try to lie to God all the time, don't we? There is nothing hidden from him. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then he tells her outright, the the Messiah you're looking for, I am he. I am the Savior for whom you've been waiting. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned, all, and fall short of the glory of God. 
Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10.9-10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You can be forgiven everything. All those things you might have considered at the very beginning of this when I said, make your list. You can be forgiven everything, past, present, future. Your sins atoned for, paid in full. If you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Who are you? What is your background? What is your history of sin and dysfunction? Have you ever had that thought that God does not want you? Or or how could God possibly love me? Just remember, in this encounter that we see here in chapter 4, Jesus breaks every possible sociocultural rule. Regardless of what people or cultural proprieties might say, God reaches down into the the darkest places of our hearts and our lives to present us with the opportunity of salvation. Because salvation does not come from religion. Salvation does not come from attending church on Sundays and going twice to Sunday school. It does not come from good works. It does not come from your pride. We can't make our own way into heaven or lie to God about how good we've been. He already knows full well how good we have not been. Salvation comes from a restored relationship with God in spirit and in truth as we confess our sin in repentance, turning away from our self-reliance, turning toward the God who gave his son to die on a cross in my place. To pay the price of our sin, our sin debt, in our place. In our passage here, we read that God is spirit. God is spirit. He is not confined to a location or a people. He created every last one of us. He knit you together in your mother's womb to be just who you are. He knows all of us and desires that we would all come to a knowledge of the truth through Jesus Christ. Even though he knows us. Even though he knows the filth that we've covered ourselves in. He he wants a church built of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Not just the Nicodemuses, but the Samaritans as well. He wants the one who thinks they have it all to realize that apart from Jesus Christ, they have nothing at all. He wants the one who thinks that they've lost it all. They can never be good enough. He wants them to realize that in Christ they can have eternal life. And satisfaction, he wants to give us living water so that we would never thirst again. As Christians, as those who have received eternal life and this living water, 
as those who are beginning to see truth and, and life through the eyes of God's word and through Christ. Are we looking at people the same way that Jesus Christ looks at people? Or am I too pious to reach out into the lives of uncomfortable people? Do we see them as precious and made in the image of God as God sees them? No matter how culturally misfit or cantankerous they might be. No matter how different they might be from me or from you. Jesus loves you. Wherever you've been, whatever skeletons your closet may hold, he already knows about them. And he still went to the cross for you. Do you know a Samaritan? Remember, Jesus loves them exactly as he loves you. And he desires that they too would come to a knowledge of the truth of the gospel, just as you have. Share Christ in your soil, in that sphere of influence lives that you have. Funny thing about soil is sometimes our soil has dirty people in it. Did you notice that Jesus didn't wait for her to apologize for her way of life? He didn't wait for her to get better or to do more goodly. He reached right into her filthy life. Right where she was and offered her the eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ alone. Do you want to be restored to the God who created you? Do you want eternal life? Have you not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior yet? Do you want to be reborn to a new life in Jesus Christ and have that living water to be personally satisfied? Don't wait. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be better. You don't have to do the good deed doing. Receive him today as your Lord and Savior. Worship him in spirit and in truth. He will take you right where you are. He just won't leave you there. He will take you and he will sanctify you and he will conform you to his own image to begin to think like he does, to begin to act like he does. Seeing other people the same way he does. Let's pray. Father God, how could we ever thank you enough for your grace and mercy in our own lives? Lord, I pray that we would continue to be humbled before your word, humbled before you, the God of all perfection, that you would reach into my filthy life and you would die on the cross for me. Help us, Lord, in, in that humility to reach out to the unlovable, to reach out to the dirty, to love them as you love them, to represent Christ on this earth, the, the very mission you've given us. Lord God, help us to worship you 
not just here in these walls, but in our lives, to be gospel messengers everywhere we go. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.